The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane. Um, as I keep saying, the soon-to-be multi-award winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Uh, joining me, genial host Danny Kelly of The Athletic's James Moore and Jack Pitt Brooks Day. Hello both of those. On today's episode, we'll discuss Friday's huge FA Cup tie against Manchester City, who have a plainly awful record so far at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And we'll talk about the eagerly anticipated comeback of one James Madison and some brilliant Manchester City against Spurs FA Cup ties from the past. We are the defending champions of the best team podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards. Head over to the Twitter page at VFTL Podcast, at VFTL Podcast, for all the details on how to vote. The vote closes on Sunday, so you've got just four days to get those votes in. Okay, Manchester City coming up. We'll preview the game in a while, but first we're going to look back on some games between Manchester City and Spurs in the FA Cup. Um, we'll start, Jack has written a piece in The Athletic. Uh, it's 20 years since that absolutely crazy 4-3 FA Cup game. Um, it'll be available... Well, I haven't written it yet, Danny. All right. So, uh, <laughs> at the time of the recording, I've written about two sentences. Very soon, very soon, Jack's going to write a piece about that crazy 4-3 FA Cup game. It'll be out there, available, apparently, on Thursday uh, to read in the morning. Um, and your piece, I mean, everyone remembers the game, Spurs 3 up at half-time, Barton sent off, City come back to win 4-3. But your piece centres around how the how the two clubs have diverged and really how they've changed since then, Jack. Tell us what you're planning to write. Well, I think I'll, I'll only really know... I don't really know at the moment. I think I'll only know when my fingers touch the keyboard. But oh, is that magical? Yeah. The process is it right now? I guess what I'm what I'm interested in is the sense that this game had no right to be a great game. You know, it's one of the most memorable games of the last twenty five years, arguably. It's one of those. It's in that kind of distinct category of games which is remembered by the scoreline. You know, if you say the scoreline, people have an idea of what you mean. And, you know, there are some games which are destined, I think, to be great. For example, you know, I don't know, 2022 World Cup final, 1999 Champions League final. And yet this is kind of, I think, arguably an FA Cup, an early FA Cup replay between two boring Premier League teams who are going nowhere is probably the one of the least glamorous categories of game imaginable. Nobody know nobody knows that it's going to be on, nobody knows when it's happening, nobody knows it's going to be on TV, nobody built really, I mean, I'm talking from the neutral perspective here, but people don't organise their week around watching, you know, to choose a recent example, Crystal Palace against Everton, two other fairly boring, if we're honest, mid-table teams, they had an FA Cup replay last week. Who organised their week around that? And, and and that game will be remembered by nobody, you know, would it be forgotten within 25 minutes? Whereas this game, a similar type of game, is remembered 20 plus years or 20 years on. Um so I'm trying to I'm trying to explore what the state of the clubs at that point as well because this was it's kind of easy to forget now but both teams were terrible at that point really you know so over the course of that season 2003-4 City and Tottenham got a combined 86 points you know both of them were 
probably fairly lucky, City luckier than Spurs, to stay in the Premier League. In 2017-18, they got a combined 177 points. That's more than double. And over the last 10 years, they've generally been hitting a combined, you know, 150, 160 points between the two of them. Now, obviously, that's, you know, City would have not always got more points than Spurs, but generally get slightly more points than Spurs. And obviously, it's, you know, it's inseparable from the story of what's happened to to City in terms of their ownership uh, since 2008. But it is interesting to me, looking back, how these two teams, which now are very much, I mean, City are kind of the hegemonic team of the last 15 years. Tottenham have been, as we know, you know, kind of pushing and pushing to get up into that top table. And sometimes they've been there and sometimes they haven't. But that they have both, in their own ways, come an awful long way from where they were in February 2004. The Spurs team, for those who don't remember, I'll give you an example of you know, why they were mid-table. I mean, don't forget, Spurs at this time really struggling for money, as I recall. They were loaning players in and buy, you know, their big purchase of the previous year or so was Christian Zieger, who you could argue had already seen his best days. Spurs started with Casey Keller in goal and a back four of um, uh, Carr, Ledley King, Anthony Gardner and Zieger. And listen to this midfield. Stefan Dalmat, who was on loan from, I think, Inter Milan. Somebody will put me right on that. Michael Brown. I think that's wrong. King King played in midfield. Yeah, and, and Simon Davis wide right. And a front two of Helder Postiga, um, desperately trying to justify his transfer fee, um, and Robbie Keane. The, the City team, is arguably on paper, looks better to me, Jack. Why don't you run through that for us? Yeah, so the, the interesting thing about the, the City team really is this was an era of City where they were spending big on they were spending big on big name players who were probably slightly over the hill. So Anelka is the exception. Anelka was you know a, still a brilliant, brilliant player at this point, but uh, they had Arnie Arison, the kind of backup goalkeeper in goal, because I think. Um, David Seaman had just got a bad injury, which had basically ended his time. I think that's right. And then Sunji Hai, Richard Dunn, Sylvan Distan, Michael Tarnat, obviously very experienced German international. Sean Wright Phillips, Joey Barton, so two of the best young players in the academy at that point. Paul Bosvelt, another, you know, best days were behind him. Trevor Sinclair, arguably best days were behind him at this point. And Nelka playing up front with Robbie Fowler. You know, obviously Fowler is a you know a great name in English football, but he 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 didn't have a great time at City at all. He didn't enjoy playing up front with the Nelka. He didn't especially want to come to City in the first place. So, um, yeah, a very different era of recruitment. But Wright Phillips and Nelka, Fowler and Sinclair is, by any standards, not a bad-looking uh, forward line. If you had them all at their best, but obviously Fowler's best by this point was, what, seven years before, seven years ago? Uh, Sinclair's best was a good few years before and so it, was, it wasn't really as good as it sounds and the interesting thing to me as well is is kind of managerially you know we're, we're very used nowadays to the idea of I mean it's slightly different with Postacoglu actually but you know the kind of younger managers I think especially in the Premier League who have got very very clear ideas about how they want to play but in fact in this game the two teams were managed by David Pleat and Kevin Keegan you know David Pleat got the job at the start or early on in that season after Daniel Levy sacked Glenn Hoddle because Hoddle, you know, clearly was, wasn't really going anywhere, didn't really click with the senior players. And Keegan had that job for a few years, but had, um, you know, he actually lasted another 12 months after this, but the the kind of the wind was going out the sails at this point. So it's it's interesting as from a Spurs perspective, I think, how 
at this point, they were kind of waiting for a bit of a reboot, which they actually got in that summer when Arneson comes in and Santini comes in. And obviously Santini didn't do great, but when Santini's replaced by Yol, then all of a sudden the club starts to generate a bit of momentum. Spurs went three up in the first half. Then there was what can only be described as a kerfuffle. Joey Barton got sent off at half-time. And, and off they went, down to 10 men. It's delightful. I mean, this probably win 5-0 now and uh, uh, cruise through it. Um, for the record, the second half, does anyone remember what happened? I don't remember, really. Distan, Sylvan Distan scored very early in the second half. And we know that that's always a big thing. If you're way behind in uh, half-time, I remember the 5-3 against Manchester United at the lane when Spurs were three up at half-time. Um, and Bosfeld got a goal, the aforementioned Dutch international, and then really late in the piece, Wright Phillips have put them level. That goal would have been disallowed now. Sean Wright Phillips's goal. If you watch the, if you watch it back, you can see that when Robbie Fowler plays Wright Phillips through, Wright Phillips is running in behind uh, a young Johnny Jackson who came on in the, he came on in the second half for Ziga. So Jackson was playing at left back for Tottenham, and Wright Phillips is clearly offside when Fowler plays the pass. So nowadays wow. that would get goal check incomplete. So may I was wondering maybe you could argue. I mean I know that lots of. Um, if you think about the the famous Fernando Llorente hip goal, uh, or even the you know which obviously l- lots of people have strong opinions about, but maybe that was just a kind of cosmic justice for Sean Wright Phillips's wrongly allowed goal in with ten minutes left in this game. Because if Wright Phillips hadn't scored, then Tottenham might well have won three two. You never know. Uh, uh, right on the end, uh, the end of normal time. Jonathan Macken's is that the highlight of Jonathan Macken's career? It's a highlight of his highlight of his time at City. He he scored one of the best goals that you will find on YouTube for Preston North End. I think against City before before Keegan signed him because um, he you know he he was at Preston a long time and scored lo- lots of goals for Preston. Uh, but there, there's one incredible kind of it's like let's put 40, 40 plus yards out taking the ball on his chest swivel volley kind of dipping really high like it's kind of parabola into the, into the city net if for, for those people who got a lot, a lot of time on their hands can i just say i i went to the original game the the game at man city okay and one, i was gonna say one of the few but i think uh i think it was about six thousand filled the away end on a sunday afternoon early sunday afternoon when there were no trains I mean, I remember being incredibly infused when Gary Doherty scored the equaliser up there. Uh, but it obviously would have been much better if he hadn't, in hindsight. James, were you at the 4-3? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to... I mean, I've showed you a You're picture visible, of me aren't in the you? crowd. Yeah. This doesn't really work on the podcast, but I am in the... Can you describe to our listeners how they can find you? Yeah, if you, <laughs> yeah thanks, Jack. Uh, if you look at... I mean, we can tweet it, I guess, from the account. If you look at... Uh, any clip of a second half of the game to the left of the goal as you look at it the the goal City are attacking obviously there's no pictures of the other end is there <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah. happened you down can there. see someone in the front row in a white Nike hoodie uh, which was inexplicably the thing I wore to games quite often that season I, I, I have no idea why uh, and I'm there and I'm, there is definitely an angle I couldn't find it when I was talking to Jack about this last week but there's definitely an angle where you can see me head in hands after Mackin scores but nonetheless, I'm there behind the goal. Listen, that's fantastic, Jack. And I look forward to reading a piece you've yet to fully formulate in your mind. Um, and it made me want to talk about another game because um, 
obviously, you know, people have spoken, including myself, and written at length about the, the infamous 1981 FA Cup final and its replay. But the truth was that throughout my adult lifetime, when Spurs and City were, you know, around the around the middle of the table and occasionally won a cup or something, the game I always went to, um, and Jack, I think I hope you'll be interested in this, was the game at Main Road, because I can tell you now, Having travelled the length and breadth of Britain, there was no better ground to watch football in the main road. It was absolutely bonkers. Um, it was, for those of you who don't remember Manchester in those days, it was in the middle of the perhaps the most working class area, the classic Coronation Street two up, two downs in Moss Side. Um, Manchester City's fans were ever hopeful, but of course in the shadow of Manchester United's continuous winning of things. Not always, of course. United have been a long time without winning the title. But City's fans were brilliant. Cut to the FA Cup quarterfinal of 1993 at Main Road, and I think one of the most remarkable games I've ever attended. Anyway, the game started, a usual raucous atmosphere in Main Road. And I remember, I was, uh, it's worth noting, I was right down the front behind one of the goals with Eleanor Levy, who was then the editor of Record Mirror, I think, a great friend of mine and a mad Spurs fan. And the game just went, it was just couldn't have been, it was a dream for Spurs. They went behind and then they their five-man midfield, they played 4-5-1 um, with Teddy Sheringham, who was all that stood between Spurs and utter mediocrity in those days, I've got to be honest. Teddy played up front in his own and Spurs just started to dominate the game. And they got one goal ahead. They, 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 Steve Sedgley scored a Naeem Later to become infamous for Naeem from the halfway line, scored a hat-trick. He wasn't a regular goal scorer, so this was amazing. And suddenly the atmosphere in the ground turned very, very strange. Um, there had been intermittent people leaking onto the pitch throughout the, for the second half when it became clear that City were going to get hiding. Um, and City got uh, Spurs got a fifth. Uh, Andy Turner had come on as a sub, went up the other end, scored, and he was disallowed for offside. Terry Phelan, City's left back, got the ball on the edge of his own penalty area, beat all 11 Spurs players and scored. And you will not convince me to this day. We talked about it as it went in. Spurs let him score to try and calm the crowd down. They let him walk through the entire team. It didn't work. City fans, a certain part of the City fans decided they wanted to get the game called off because they were so certain they were going to win and now it was going against them. There then was a full-scale pitch invasion. The referee took the players off the pitch. It took, I'd never seen this before, it took a phalanx of police horses and 15 minutes to get the, the game going again. It was one of the maddest games of football I was ever at. It's an amazing historical document, The watching the game on YouTube. I watched a fair bit of it, and... Um... The sight, uh, the sight of police horses charging around a football pitch—not one or two, there were probably yeah. a dozen, weren't there? During what's you know what's meant to be a, a match between, well, not a Premier League match, but a match between two Premier League teams, uh, is a mate like within within my lifetime, of, you know, but maybe not within the lifetimes of, of some listeners to this podcast. But it does, yeah, it does remind you what what English football was like not that long ago. Yeah, it does feel like it's quite a. In my mind, and I'm sure for people like Jack are around the same sort of age and younger, there's quite a stark difference between football in the kind of mid to late 80s backwards and kind of the early 90s forward. They feel like they're more than they're more than four or five years apart. 
but yeah, I, t- t- it is those two things I saw in Congress: the idea, yeah, police horses and Premier League footballers that we recognise as people who played in the Premier League through to like late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, it is really weird. The other thing that's striking on that YouTube video is how quickly, and I know the game overran a little bit, how quickly they get into the semi-final draw and how quickly they just rattle <laughs> for it and how unglamorous it is with uh, yeah. Graham Kelly and Bert Millichip and whoever else is involved. <laughs> it's just so, like, in some kind of dusty room at F- FAHQ, it's just so low rent. There's no Mark Chapman, there's no former pros. It's really low rent. It's so funny to see. In comparison to what... You know, what the semi-final draw will be like this year. It'll be so flashy and it'll be about six hours after a game. I think Manchester City-Spurs games always happen. You know when they're building up to Manchester United against Spurs or Spurs against Manchester United, they're all saying this is a usually a glamour tie in, in English football. The games that are mad are the Spurs and Manchester City games by and large. We already talked about two of them that are mad. We talked about the Cup Final 81 and I've no reason to believe this won't be a fantastically brilliant game as well. I think the Champions League... I think the 2019 quarterfinal second leg is the best game I've ever been to, I think. Um, I think it's better than the Tottenham. I'm sure I've said this on the pod before. I think it's better. I think City Spurs in that quarterfinal was actually better than Spurs Ajax in the semi. I know that Spurs Ajax had this kind of amazing momentum shift. A bit like a bit like the 4-3 in 2004. But in terms of the momentum was just one way and then the other. In terms of re- like repeated the pendulum swinging back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, I think the Spurs City game was better, and I think that second leg is probably the most dramatic game I've ever been to. I think. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to The View from the Lane. You're listening to me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook, and James Moore as we look forward to the big game on Friday in the FA Cup against Manchester City. Um, before we get on to the Manchester City thing and, of course, the difficulty that James has been having in getting a ticket for the game, um, Jack, among the myriad things you've been doing, it's no wonder you haven't written your piece yet because you've been so busy. Um, you've been finding out what the players have been getting up to over the winter break. So basically, Tottenham, the Tottenham players had four days off the second half of last week to take advantage of the fact that they had this this break between the Manchester United game and the Manchester City game. Um, so I think uh, you know some play. I, you know, James Madison, who will probably come on to later, he he stayed to train, but I think most of the the first teamers who are fit or who have been training normally uh, got some time off. So if you if you follow the and this is all you know publicly available information on Instagram, Brennan Johnson went to Paris. Brian Hill went to Miami. Destiny Udogi went to Dubai. I think Benton Kerr looks like it was the Alps. And um, Emerson also went to Dubai and appeared to go to some sort of Tiger King-style big cat place, which um, I'm sure listeners will have their own views on how how tasteful such an institution is. James Madison didn't go because he's getting himself fit. Um, A piece you have bothered to write, Jack, um, for James, is about James Madison. Um, And... The the struggle he's had to get himself fit and the 
impact that's had on Spurs' season. Yeah, so it's been quite a, you know, it's been obviously quite a difficult a few months from Madison, he sustained that uh, deltoid injury in early November. So it's been, well, two and a half, coming up to three months since he's been out. Yeah, so there's a really interesting interview that Madison did with Ben Foster on on Amazon, which you can find on YouTube, where he talks about his recovery from the injury. I know that this has been maybe the hardest injury layoff of Madison's career because he was playing so well. You know, he was absolutely flying and loving every second of it when he got injured. He it's it's remarkable really and I get into this in the piece how quickly he adjusted and adapted to playing for Tottenham like it looked like he'd been playing for them for years from the first minute he, he started against Brentford um, so he was you know really on top of the world through August, September, October and then at the start of November he gets this injury and he's had to to sit and wait and wait patiently obviously worked very hard went to Dubai with Spurs medical staff in the middle of December and since then he's just been you know cranking it up and I believe he returned to full training last week. I'm not sure exactly in what capacity we'll see him against Manchester City, but I'd, I'd love to see him in some form or another. And then really looking forward to, to watching him play because I, I've always loved watching Madison play. And I think he you can't really play Angeball without Madison because there's no one else who can replicate his creativity or his ability to, to, to see things in the middle of the pitch. But he's also been busy away from football. He's not just um, used his time on rowing machines, has he? Um yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, I think he went to. He was often, you know, if you were watching the World Championship darts at Ali Pali, uh, you could see him often in, in the crowd. You know, getting a bit of banter from Spurs fans, trying to give some back. Um, he's, you know, obviously a big darts fan. And then he had Luke Littler, who lost the, who lost the the World Championship final, the the teenage sensation, and really the biggest story of the World Championships. Luke Littler was in Madison's box for. I think it was either the I think it was the Bournemouth game around Christmas because Madison had obviously met Littler, met Luke Littler at the darts and was such a big fan of his invited him to be his guest at that at that game. Well, we we can only hope that um he's he's fully fit. I mean, James we'll come on to um how you're going to watch the game in a minute, but would you be starting Madison if he's technically fit against Manchester City? Yeah, it is, that is a difficult question. And in normal circumstances, i.e. if uh, Bissouma and Saar were available, um, may, or and Lacelso, I should say, may, maybe that's a slightly different question. I, I mean, I'd be my, I, I just get a sense that it's probably more sensible not to rush him back into a game like this where if the previous one is anything to go by, it's going to be incredibly intense. And I mean, obviously the medical staff and the manager will know way more than me, but I'd be surprised if he was ready to play a, a large proportion of a game like that. So I suspect it's more likely and more sensible that we'll see like the last half hour if, if the game state sort of dictates that's going to work. Um, I mean, I, I, I know the midfield is on the running order here. I mean, I, 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 if, if it were me, I would be minded to keep it the same as Manchester United purely on the basis of like how well that worked. And, you know, I think we were in agreement last week that... So let me, let me remind me. So Hoiberg, Bentancur... skip in the, in the free in midfield. That means you're leaving out Johnson or... Yeah, I've, I think if you then would bring Kulisevsky back into the team and have Brennan Johnson on the bench and actually have the benefit of, like, kind of senior players of experience of the first team on the bench. So if you if you then would have like presumably Dragashin, uh Madison, 
Johnson, you know, you'd have kind of senior players actually to come on and affect the game towards and the Brian end. Hill and Brian Hill, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that, oh yeah, I mean, that will be a nice feeling to have like a sort of uh, the, the kind of nuts and bolts of a proper substitute bench for the first time in ages. When I was daydreaming about this yesterday, I thought if Madison's fit, could he play Benton Kerr at six and Madison and Kulisevsky as the two midfielders? I thought, Danny, I mean, I know we're all about attacking these days. What do you think Manchester, what do you think Rodri would make of that Spurs lineup? I mean, you could definitely do it, but I would say maybe not the game to do it. Probably not. I'd love to say, I think they should, I think they have to do this at some point, but maybe not on Friday. There'll be a game, a home game against someone who sits like 10 players behind the ball and they have to like unpick the lock. Yeah, but if we're going to, if we're, if we're going to be proper, properly signed up to put the Postacoglu um, philosophy, surely we should play all the attacking players. Come on, let's get after it. I'm not convinced. All right. I mean, we'll talk some more about the game in a second. But um, James, you're going, you lucky sod, as they say. Um, but it was a close run thing. Tell us about your adventures in Ticketland. The, the only reason I want to talk about this on the podcast is I want to know whether this has happened to anyone else. So basically, uh, it, I, I was kind of looking at my phone on Tuesday morning at the kind of, you know, your kind of Google wallet thing where the tickets for games now appear. They, if you have a season ticket, they kind of get generated automatically every time. Uh, and I was looking at mine. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, it says Brentford didn't say Manchester City. That the cup game hasn't appeared in there. I bought I bought that ticket last week, and that should be there. So I like go from my email to look for an email that I thought would explain when that was going to appear. I didn't have an email. I look at my bank account to check that they took the money for the ticket last week. They didn't take the money for the ticket last week. So I'm kind of sat there thinking, I definitely went through the process of ordering this ticket online last week. And I go through the history on my browser and I can see it all there. And I'm like, ah, oh. it says order, review your order, but not order confirmation or whatever. So I'm thinking, mm, I've got through to the very last stage and not hit the button at the last minute to do it and like close the window and gone away and off into a meeting or whatever. So the long and short of it is, rather than getting my ticket in my or in front of my seat for £35, I've paid a considerable amount more to sit in another part of the ground. I suspect with far more uh, discerning individuals than where I'm normally stood. Do you get recognised at the ground, James? You know what? I got at the Manchester United game, the first home game of the season, I got recognised by three people who all came up to me and said very nice things about the podcast. I think I mentioned that at the time. So thank you to those people. Uh, and once or twice since, but not not really. Do you get recognised, Jack, as you make your way around the football grounds of, of the country? If you're in the ground on Friday night and you look towards the press box and you see someone in a yellow jacket wearing a baseball cap, that is Jack Pitbrook. I might have to wear a different coat now. Do I get recognised sometimes? Sometimes, not an awful lot. Um, it's obviously nice when people say they like the podcast, so please keep saying it. Keep, keep that validation flowing in. Keep voting. Keep saying it's great. I'm going back to East Low, which is where my season ticket was at the old ground. So I'm kind of quite excited to be going to come back to my roots, even if it is going to cost an insane amount of money. Jack, you uh, you you watch Spurs for a living, and you watch Manchester City uh, for historical reasons. Why are City Why is City's record at, at the new Spurs Stadium so appalling? No goals, no wins. It's a good question, isn't it? They've been there five times now. They haven't scored once. And given that, if you think, so if you look 
I know that, you know, teams generally score more goals home than away, but on average, in the league, City score 2.5, 2.6, 2.7 goals per game. So for City to go five games, and these five are four Premier League, one Champions League, and not to score a single goal is a huge underperformance. And clearly they're, you know, they're a bit annoyed. Guardiola has mentioned this himself. Um, And they've been, yeah, it's been an interesting run of games. I think that, I just think the best of those five games was the first one the Champions League game, the quarterfinal first leg where Tottenham won 1-0, which I think was probably the last great perfor- the last great performance under Pochettino. It was the last, re- last real-time under Pochettino where they had re- kind of physical energy and they looked really, really up for it. Yeah, because the way in Amsterdam was kind of mad, wasn't it? Yeah, again, and the four league games since then that, they've, that Spurs have won, uh, they've all, they've kind of, I think all of them have been games where Spurs have played on the back foot, kept things tight, caught City on the break. Obviously, two for Mourinho, one for Nuno, one for, well, it was Stellini, but Conte was still technically manager at that point, which is the game which is really only remembered for the Harry Kane breaking the record. Um, I just wonder, with a, with an eye on tomorrow, like Ange ball is so different from Stellini ball, Nuno ball, Jose ball. And this is why we love it, because it's it's such a, it's diametrically opposed to how Tottenham have played their football in the last five years. But it's because it's so different. I, I mean, look, Tottenham are not going to follow that blueprint, are they? They're not going to follow the Nuno, dig in, hope that Son scores one on the break blueprint. Um, I'm not saying that Tottenham can't win playing the way they play. You know, they got a really good draw away in the league, which I think was a bit of a turning point for the season, just because it showed that Tottenham can get results even even without their key players. Would I be would I be wrong in saying Spurs were lucky that day? Um not 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 especially. I mean I thought they actually played pretty well. I thought they dug in really well. Um so look I, I don't know how it's gonna go. I'm a bit um it's yeah it's difficult to make predictions just because this is the first time we've seen, you know, Andrew Spurs at home against City. And it's, um, I think it, you know, it's it's hard to tell. We should also say, by the way, that uh, Pep Guardiola lost at White Hart Lane as well in 2016. He did, yeah. 2-0. So uh, he hasn't scored a goal in Tottenham. His teams have not scored a goal in Tottenham. That 2-0 was a really good game. That was the first, because obviously City started that season really well. It was the first game he lost, I think, yeah. The first game they lost. And Tottenham, this was, you know, what, 16-17 Tottenham. This was like high-energy, very, very muscular, powerful, pressing Tottenham. And they kind of, they sort of flattened City a bit, I remember. Let's be honest. If you had to pick one, apart from Kane's unerring finishing, if you had to pick one factor of why they've beaten City or competed so well, it's been Son's ability in the gap behind, let's be honest, Carl Walker over the years, um, we don't have that. Son has scored in four of the... F- so Manchester City have been to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium five times. Son has scored in four of those games. The Harry Kane record-breaking game uh, in February last year was the only one of those in which Son has not scored. Son has definitely been a bigger factor, home and away in these games than Kane, over that time period. But two, two in that Champions League game up there. He scored one in like a two-all draw in like probably that same season, 16-17, I think. Scored in the three all this, yeah, this season, early this exactly, season, yeah. uh, in with a goal which was actually I think very reminiscent of at least one of the goals he scored in the four three in the Champions League in twenty nineteen. But the fact is, the way the City play, like Ange, they like a high line up the pitch so they can as the sort of basis for their press. And if you play like that, 
you know, you're going to be vulnerable to players like Son who can attack that space. And I think there's no one really better than Son at timing those runs and finishing the one-on-ones. City take the risk because Kyle Walker is arguably the best recovery defender I've ever seen because of his pace, but it's nullified by the fact that Son is so quick. Now, Timo Werner is incredibly quick over the ground. It's the finishing that may be the issue there. We shall see as he lamps in three um, on Friday night. James has predict. James is on record predicting that Werner will score two goals in the oh, FA yeah, Cup. Shit, I forgot about that. I'm going to say it. I think he has to score on Friday because it's unlikely that Tottenham will win without him scoring, right? I think Spurs are going to win on Friday night. Werner hat-trick? Well, no, Werner two. Definitely not a hat-trick. Let's not be daft. I told you how many goals he's going to score. You think they're going to win, James? I've just got a feeling they might. It's, uh, uh, Harlan's not playing, is he? I don't think they'll start him. Why would they start him in a game of that intensity? It seems unlikely. The real shame is their midweek game afterwards is Burnley at home, which uh, uh, if they had like a sort of Arsenal or Liverpool midweek, you really could see they might lose focus on, on, on the FA Cup. I just feel like it's not going to be their biggest priority. They've given themselves a bit of work to do in the league, even if I think most people still think they're going to win it. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I just have a feeling about it. I just have a, I just have a sense that, I mean, look, it's not hard to have that when Spurs have beaten them so many times. And obviously that record does have to end eventually. But I can see free uh, 3-1 Spurs. Sorry, I should really know this. I'm going to embarrass myself here. If it's a draw, does it go to extra time or replay? Replay. Replay. I've said that really definitively, but I, I don't actually know either. But I think that's right. And I followed you as though I knew <laughs> what I was talking about. Yeah. What a podcast. I'm going to go for two all. I think this is the last round. I think next because the next round is a midweek round, isn't it? So that so I'm going to go for two. I'm going to go for score draw. I talked the other week about being happy with this draw and thinking it was a good draw for Spurs. And Danny, you really poo pooed that, and I understand that. In the last five years, I've worked this out. The average finishing league position of the teams that have knocked Spurs out of the FA Cup has been 18th. That includes two Championship teams in the last two seasons: Palace, Norwich. Uh, Everton, Middlesbrough, Sheffield United. So, wow. like, if, you, if you're going to lose to teams like that, you might as well play Manchester City in the fourth round. Um, I think it will be a score draw as well, one-one. Yeah, mm, cowards. What if what if Jack actually believes that's going to be a scoreline? How is that cowardice? No, I don't actually believe it. I'm just hedging. He does. He doesn't <laughs> exactly. I know him exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Listen. Um, do go and vote for us, please. Um, I'll be putting it on my Twitter every day uh, for the rest of the month till we get to the final voting in this thing. And for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, make sure you sign up to The Athletic itself. Take advantage of our very latest offer, just £1.99 a month for 12 months. It's full of great stuff when Jack gets around to writing it. Simply go to athletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. And I want to end today by, again, hoping that Spurs do well against Manchester City, but also to say goodbye and a massive thank you to Adonis Pratsidis, um, one of the many Arsenal supporters who've helped make this podcast the behemoth that it is today. Um, Adonis has been an absolute joy and thank you, man. Um, the rest of you will see you Monday to celebrate another classic victory for Spurs against Manchester City. God bless you all. Cheers now. The Athletic. <laughs>